Welcome to Plan Action Now. Today's topic pertains to California Senate Bill 54, which addresses plastic pollution through limiting single-use plastics. To learn more about this bill, I reached out to one of the co-contributors, State Assemblywoman Luz Rivas. She represents District 39 in Southern California. Prior to becoming a California State Assemblywoman, Luz Rivas earned a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from MIT, a master's in education from Harvard, and started a nonprofit called DIY Girls, which aims to engage young girls in the field of STEM. I'm really excited that Assemblywoman Rivas agreed to speak with me, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Hey, so great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Sure, of course. So you serve on the California State Assembly as a representative for District 39, which contains the community where you grew up. What was it like growing up in Northeast San Fernando Valley? Uh, well, I grew up mainly in the 1980s. Uh, you know, you know, I my family came to the San Fernando Valley in the 1950s from Mexico. You know, my mom came here in the 1960s. Uh, you know, so you know, it was. It was fun. I mean, well, you know, it was a great place to grow up. I think a lot of us that went to school together, a lot of my classmates were very close to each other. Everybody knew their neighbors. And there's, you know, lots of families that um, did things together. Um, I don't know. I think it was a great place to grow up. Aw, that sounds awesome. And I also read that you discovered your passion for engineering as a fifth grader. What was that experience like? And how did you follow that passion all the way to a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering at MIT? Um, so I, you know, in elementary school, when I was in fifth grade, my teacher had Apple IIe computers. Yeah, she had like, you know, three or four of them in the back of the classroom. And those of us that would finish our work early, she would let us use the computers. Um, and at the time, you know, computers didn't have a lot of games or you know, other activities, you had to program it that, you know, you, you know, it was a cursor blinking and you had to type in commands. Um, and so that's how I learned to program a computer. I thought it was just a fun activity uh, in the classroom. I didn't realize that this was a potential career until my teacher told me that maybe I should consider computer science since I actually liked using the programming the computers. Uh, and so that's from then on, I just convinced myself I want to do something related to technology. And by the time I got to high school, um, was thinking about engineering. Um, and, you know, I ended up applying to engineering programs and ended up, you know, getting accepted to MIT and where I ended up going to study electrical engineering. You started a nonprofit to encourage girls who are young and starting off on these STEM careers you started this nonprofit to help foster that passion. Um, so tell me more about this nonprofit and how you got it started. So I started DIY Girls 10 years ago um, in Pacoima, which is in the San Fernando Valley where I grew up in. Um, I started it at my elementary school. Like I just told you, I learned how to program um, a computer in fifth grade. So I went back to that same elementary school and that's where I started the after-school program for fifth-grade girls. It was inspired by my own experience. Um, the teachers and the school principal at the time were very supportive, were excited to have a STEM program for girls at the school. 
Um, and, you know, it grew. It started with a group of 30 girls that joined the after-school program 10 years ago to now, you know, it's a big organization serving thousands of girls in the San Fernando Valley. Um, and so I'm very proud um, of starting the organization and that it continues to be successful today. Yeah, and that's awesome that you brought it right back to the same place that fostered your love of that field. That's really cool. <laughs> Great to hear. And then, so after working as an engineer and founding this nonprofit DIY Girls, what prompted you to enter politics? Uh, well, in, um, in 2016, um, while I was running DIY Girls, um, the mayor of Los Angeles, um, Mayor Eric Garcetti, appointed me to the Los Angeles Board of Public Works as a commissioner, which is a full-time position in the city of LA. Um, and, you know, it was going back to doing engineering in the city, right? You know, the commission approves infrastructure and other um, engineering projects for the city of Los Angeles. Um, so I was at City Hall, you know, working there uh, um, being part of this commission when my predecessor in the state assembly resigned due to Me Too allegations, you know, sexual harassment allegations. Oh, wow. So he resigned. So there was suddenly an opening in the state assembly seat. Um, and I had developed a lot of relationships while I started my nonprofit and as a public works commissioner. Uh, and so when people were looking for a candidate, uh, they thought of me. So I had a local city councilwoman called me um, and other elected officials called me and encouraged me to run for office um, because there was a vacancy in the state assembly. At first, I thought they were crazy because I had never considered, you know, getting into politics. But, you know, when I thought about it, when I had to make the decision of whether to run I thought of a lot of what I would tell the young girls that I worked with at DIY Girls. I would tell them to always take risks, to try new things, um, to not be afraid um, of trying new things. And so I took my own advice, right? And I thought, how could I be a role model if I'm not doing what I preach? <laughs> um, and I thought that being a policymaker was the next thing for me to do, that I could advocate STEM, and other policy issues that are important to my community by being a state legislator. And that's how I ended up in politics. That's awesome. That's super cool that you're, you're taking risks in that way and, and affecting change in your community. <laughs> and, and on that same thread, um, let's, yeah, let's talk about SB 54. So um, SB 54 according to one headline, is the nation's most comprehensive paper and plastic packaging EPR bill, and EPR referring to extended producer responsibility. What makes this bill so comprehensive? Well, SB 54, you know, it's uh, a bill um, that was just signed by Governor Newsom, authored by Senator Ben Allen of Santa Monica. Um, and it definitely is the nation's most comprehensive, you know, plastic packaging bill. Um, and what makes this bill comprehensive is that it requires single-use plastic material to be recyclable or compostable, um, you know, within the next 10 years. Um, I, it's definitely 
a policy legislation that other states and, you know, maybe global, um, you know, it, it will, people will look at this as an example of ways to reduce single-use plastic and plastic pollution, right? But um, it also addresses how much plastic is produced. You know, there is a goal on, on reducing the source um, and for encourages producers um, to use less plastic packaging. And in addition, it also ensures that there are plans created to reduce plastic. And it also seeks to protect low-income and disadvantaged communities who may be affected by all of this pollution. Beyond producers having, like being encouraged to use less plastic, how, all, how else are they held responsible for the plastic pollution and mitigating that issue? Well, over the, over the next 10 years, they'll be required to pay into a fund that will be administered by the state. I believe it's $500 million a year um, over the next 10 years. You know, that, that fund will go to communities that are affected by plastic pollution, so they will be paying um, also, our state department, Cal Recycle, will will be holding them accountable if goals aren't met, because the bill includes um, goals towards reducing the percentage of plastic being used. And if it's not, then they will be held accountable. So there are target dates, um, you know, and, you know, producers are expected to meet those dates. Excellent. And you also mentioned, so if they're paying into this fund and this fund is going to low-income, disadvantaged, and rural, rural communities, um, are there any other ways that this bill alleviates the impacts of plastic pollution on these communities? Well, I mean, you know, we, we expect to see less plastic out there right now, you know, in our waterways. Um, on you know in our you know on our streets we see a lot of plastic pollution um, but if if less plastic is being used in packaging um, then we expect to see less plastic that's awesome so in one article you said SB 54 differs from previous legislation on plastic reduction because this bill has received input from businesses environmental organizations and waste management groups, which proves that when we work together, we can take on important issues such as addressing our plastic pollution crisis. I love this. And t- tell me more about this process and how these different groups collaborated. Well, you know, the bill author, um, the lead author, he spent months working with different stakeholders to get it to a point, to get the bill ready. You know, I came in when the bill came to Assembly Natural Resources Committee, which was toward the end of the of the process, um, and so I mean I think in general it just takes for a bill this big that will have the the impact it's expected to have. It just takes months of negotiations and discussions with different stakeholders like businesses, the environmental advocates, legislators. Uh, you know, trying to get everyone to agree on what the best policy is. It requires a lot of collaboration and, you know, everyone wants it to be, a, you know, bold legislation, right? 
but not everyone agrees on the details. Uh, yeah. And so it just takes a long time, a lot of discussions and a lot of collaboration. Yeah. And as one of the people who worked on SB 54, as one of the authors, what are there any aspects that you're most proud of? Uh, well, I'm proud that this bill, um, SB 54, uh, will be will act aggressively on the plastic pollution crisis. Um, that California once again will be a leader um, in in a model for other states and other countries to follow. Um, it was also very important to me that we address our environmental justice communities and their concerns. And I believe that we were able to do that. And I had a big part in doing so. So that's one aspect that I'm very proud of. That's awesome. I'd love to hear more about the environmental justice aspect and what it was like working working to help out these communities. Well, I, what, you know, I, I talked to a lot of environmental justice leaders because they were very concerned on one version of the bill. Um, they were very concerned that it didn't, that certain types of recycling um, would be allowed in the bill, like something called chemical recycling um, that could cause more pollution in communities that are considered disadvantaged because that's likely where these recycling plants would be built. Um, and so, you know, they, they just want to make sure that, you know, this bill is not resulting in more pollution in disadvantaged communities. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, environmental justice groups were concerned about this form of recycling. Um, I believe you referred to it as chemical recycling. Um, so what alternative did you find to this that did did were they happy in the end with the end result I think so uh, we just made sure that chemical recycling and you know those type of recycling technologies do not count as recycling of plastic in California oh. right? so that won't that can't be used to meet the goal of plastic recycling okay so I also wanted to ask you about, you know, I've been thinking about how how we can reach our legislators and one of one of the ways to reach out and hope to make some changes by writing letters to legislators in, in order to make an impact in the face of the climate crisis. Do you think that these letters are more effective on the local level? Um, you know, I, I get letters. I get a lot of email and phone calls as a state legislator and what my staff does is they track it, right? They, they track support and opposition of bills going through the legislature. And I get it like as an aggregate, right? Like 250 people called in support of this bill or 50 people in your district are opposed to, the, to another bill, right? So, um, you know, it does matter, you know, it, it you know, I think people should be engaged in legislation and, you know, I think it could be effective on both the local and state level. Nice. Yeah. I, it's nice to hear the perspective on the other end, because sometimes as a citizen, it feels like you're just kind of sending it off into the abyss and hoping it makes a change. <laughs> um, have you ever received a letter that it was maybe not in support or of something, but 
maybe it was a new idea and it, it prompted you to take action on something? Um, they're usually not letters. I think what I have found that's most effective is meeting directly with constituents. Um, you know, there are people that live in my district that have ideas for legislation. And, you know, one time I met with a group of, I had a small town hall in the district. And from that town hall, they were my constituents. They came up with ideas for a bill. Um, and we actually introduced the bill and it made it through the whole legislative process. And it was signed by the governor and came law. Wow. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a letter with a new idea. I think it has to be a conversation, a discussion, um, you know, like some type of interaction with either legislative staff or the legislator. Um, and that can be done, you know, most people, most elected officials have some sort of, you know, town halls or events where you can discuss policy or concerns with your elected official. Um, and I think that's where I would more likely get ideas from rather than just it written out in a letter. Okay. That's, that's great to know. I'm curious, what, what was that bill pertaining to? Oh, it was, it was the equest, I have an equestrian community in my district um, where, you know, they have horses and um, they were concerned about safety uh, within, you know, there had been some accidents um, between collisions between cars and horses that share the road. And w what we did is we created a bill or it was their idea, um, like more of a equestrian safety bill that would require minors to wear a helmet when they're riding horses in, in the public right of way. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and it, it goes to show like the diverse amount of topics that you're working on every day. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, most legislators do, right? You don't just work on one issue area. Yeah. So, like, tell me more about what you usually do. Like, what does a day in the life of a legislator look like for you? Well, when the legislative, legislative session is in, in, when we're in session, that means I have to travel to Sacramento, which is about an hour flight from Los Angeles. Uh, so I leave on Monday morning and return on Thursday afternoon. Uh, and when I'm in my Capitol office, um, I have meetings. Typically, my meetings are 15 minutes with different, you know, groups, advocates, other legislators. So I have a series of meetings. Um, we have our legislative session twice a week uh, where we vote on bills on the assembly floor. Um, and then I, when I'm back in the district, it's meeting with constituents or going to local events um, in the district. Wow, nice. Oh, how often do you have to fly to Sacramento to be in session? Well, every week. It's about nine months out of the year. Cool. Every week. I mean, we get, you know, we get a month off in the summer. We have some time off during, toward the end of the year, and we get a spring break, but kind of like a school year. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wanted to ask you one more question. 
As a legislator, you've been able to make an immense impact on your local community and even the state of California. So where do you think one could make the most impact regarding the climate crisis? As a constituent, do you think, you know, not everyone can become an assembly person. Do you have any advice for the average citizen seeing the legislative side of it? I mean, I think that, you know, they should engage with their legislators. Um, make phone calls, whatever they can do, right, to to make sure that their elected officials know, you know, how they feel about different policy issues. I have some constituents that I see at events. Some of them meet with me in my office. They call they call my staff a lot. So I guess it just depends what type of impact you want to have, right? You know, most people care about local issues and how it affects their day-to-day lives. And that's how they start engaging with their elected officials. So I think it's just being in communication, attending events. I guess it depends what impact you want to have. You know, some people, they just care about the trash outside of their, on the street, right? And some people care about climate change, right? So it just depends what your goal is. Um, But I think you should just always be engaged. That's great advice. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I wanted to give a special thanks to Maribel Becerra, Anel Lopez, and Thaisa Landeros, a few people from the Assemblywoman's team who responded to my request and helped coordinate this interview and make it happen. You are all wonderful to work with. Thanks.